In the final analysis, a riot is the language of the unheard. What is it that America has failed to hear? It has failed to hear that the plight of the Negro poor has worsened over the last few years. It has failed to hear that the promises of freedom and justice have not been met. And it has failed to hear that large segments of white society are more concerned about tranquility and the status quo than about justice, equality, and humanity. Welcome to Conversation on Tap, a didactic podcast that seeks to promote intelligent dialogue in an age of echo chambers and self-segregation. Pull up a stool, pour a glass of tasty beer, or in this case, coffee. We're doing this in the morning. And join us each week as we talk about all the topics you were told not to discuss in polite company. My name is Joel. And my name is Jose. And so this week we are going to discuss, of course, the murder of George Floyd by a Minnesota police officer and the protests that have followed. But first, uh, let's talk about our brew. Jose, what are you drinking coffee-wise? I have this San Francisco Bay, I believe it's a dark roast coffee, those little K-cup pods. I got it at Costco. I'm drinking it out of a Star Wars mug. And if I'm not mistaken, those are the ones you can recycle? Yes, actually you can, but you have to send it to, to a specific place, and then they compost it. Okay, I didn't know that. We like um, Pete so much that we're not willing to recycle. That's crap. And we're drinking uh, fills. You know those little K-cups that you can fill up with uh, those with grounds? Coffee yeah. Ground? We're doing that with, with fills. Have you ever had fills? It's really, really good. I've never had that, but I have one of those refillable K-cups. Those are nice. So I guess half the time we're we're doing it the right way without having to throw all that plastic in the landfill. I just think it you know it takes 400 years for plastic to biodegrade. I won't be here, so not my problem. Yeah. Totally kidding, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> it's just convenience, really, sadly. Yeah, exactly. And now for the segment of our show that we call Fred Talks. In this segment of our show, Joel and I will each share one thing that we are passionate about for two minutes, though we tend to be a bit long-winded, so that isn't a strict time limit. Uh, this week, kind of on topic, I want to discuss the fact that there are so many American Christians who are dismissive of George Floyd's death, the murder of George Floyd. I'm hearing them defend police. A lot of them are totally distracting from the murder and focusing solely on the looting and the riots. They don't even really care at this point about George Floyd. But um, I, I made this post on Facebook to that point, and I had some people who weren't Christian, by the way, who were quite upset that I was kind of connecting Christianity to the George Floyd murder. And I kind of want to take a minute and explain why this is for Christians. This is an important moment. So for Catholics, anyway, I'll speak for the Catholic Church. You know, we worship a God, Jesus, who was brutally murdered by religious and political authorities, right? We go to church, and there above the altar is Christ 
on a torture device, right? Christ crucified, right, on a cross. And, you know, they wear crucifixes around their necks. We are looking at the image of a man who was killed brutally. And yet they don't draw that connection to George Floyd. So let me kind of point out some commonalities here. So one, the Romans forced Jesus to march under the crushing weight of his cross, to which they then nailed him to. You had Roman soldiers and citizens just standing around, watching, not intervening, not helping in any way, except for Simon of Cyrene. In the crowd, however, was Jesus's mother, who wept and watched with horror as her son was being brutalized. And then in the final moments of Jesus's life, he says, I thirst, which is an understatement, Jesus being thirsty. So we literally worship a God who was tortured and murdered by cruel authorities. Now look at George Floyd. So on Memorial Day, George Floyd is being crushed by the throat under the knee of a police officer, under an authority. Yeah. And as he's being crushed under the knee of this officer, he keeps saying, I can't breathe. Please, please, I can't breathe. Please, man. Just as yeah. Jesus probably couldn't breathe on the cross as he was hanging there, George yeah. Floyd says, I can't breathe. And at one point, he even cries out, I need water. Get me water. I'm thirsty. There's water or something. Please. Which is exactly what Jesus basically said. I thirst. And you have bystanders. Even the person recording the incident is standing there doing nothing. Why do do drugs, kids? It ain't about drugs, bro. He is human, bro. And one of the things that George Floyd cried out, which was really heartbreaking, was he was crying out for his mama. He was crying out for his mom. Yeah. Get up get in the car. Mama. Get up and get mama. in the car right. Ugh, just, it's like a gut punch. And one final parallel I want to draw here is just as Jesus died, as he drew his final breath, he said, it is finished. And then he expired. He died. George Floyd, right before he died, said, I'm through. I'm through. I know you're a nigga. You didn't listen. Uh, wow. Wow. Christians can't see the connections here. There's a deep problem with their spirit. There's a deep problem with their faith. And I think this is a condemnation of Christians in America, huge condemnation for Christians in America, that they can't see this connection, these parallels between Christ and George Floyd. They would rather pay attention to the looting and the rioting than they would to this brutal murder. I have to ask you, could it be that they're not really Christians? I mean, just calling you Christians and going through the motions, but not following the main tenets. Could it be that we have a pretty big portion? I think that most Christians, and I wonder if you agree with me, are totally appalled by the murder. But could it be that we have a big portion of Christians who Jesus wouldn't even call Christians? I believe so. It's a strong statement, but I kind of think so, too. I think there are a lot of people who say they're Christian. You know, they go to church on Sunday, they punch their time card, and they go home, and they turn on Fox News, they go vote for Trump, they put their MAGA hat on, and the, during the week, there's no semblance of a Christian life whatsoever. I Can I just add to it? I, that was super poignant, and I think that we, we could also add the fact that uh, Jesus died through capital punishment, and... Yeah. African Americans are put to death at a rate much higher than other uh, races in the United States, which is appalling. And 
anti-Christian also. And a lot of Christians are have been the main leaders of, and proponents of capital punishment. And that is also starting to change. We're thank, thank, I want to say thank God. And I will say thank God that's starting to change. Totally. And that that's the other thing, too, when you hear people you know, extolled the death penalty as this ultimate form of righteous punishment. It's like, really? Jesus got the death penalty totally unjustly. Yeah. Oh, very cognitive dissonance. There is. It's crazy. The Old Testament is over, people. But anyway, I I don't know. It's super ironic and poignant, Jose. I totally agree. He's a Christ figure. Yeah, I I would make that comparison. Anyway, sorry. I don't well we can talk more about it in the main yeah, let's do that. Joel. Mine also has to do with George Floyd's death. Guy I read a lot named David French. I, I like him a lot. He's conservative. He's also got some liberal views. I just love him. He brought up in, in the article I'm going to bring up um, in our outro, uh, an article, and he talked about something called Miles Law. Miles Law is the principle in bureaucratic politics that one's position in a bureaucracy determines one's position on an issue. Um, and, and a main quote comes from um, a guy named Rufus Miles. He was a supervisor in the Bureau of the Budget in 1940s. He said, where you stand depends on where you sit. In other words, uh, where you are in a bureaucracy, if you're a teacher, if you're a priest, if you're a policeman, that will dictate what your um, policy positions are. And it's going to be tough for police to change because of where they sit and that's where they stand. And it's been very heartening to see brave police kneeling with the protesters. And I think that is the perfect response, but um, we're also seeing major pushback And right after the brutality of the police. We're seeing more brutality by the police, unnecessary brutality by the police. I just saw yesterday or the day before some policemen getting onto a freeway and and there were a bunch of protesters on the on-ramp and they were spraying pepper spray at the protesters as they drove by. What does that do? And will they face consequences? Um, And I, for one, I don't know where you stand on the police issue. I think that the vast majority of police are good people. They're trying to do the right thing. But I wish police were more willing to to say enough to the bad apples. But anyway, I digress, too. So I I just want to jump in on that last point, because our pastor, uh, Father Aiden, and I'm going to upload this to the Internet because it's so good, delivered this powerful homily on racism on George Floyd, the protests, and his comment, and I don't want to get, again, I don't want to digress too much, but his comment about that was, to your point, we have to stop saying it's just bad apples. Yeah. Because bad apples don't kill people. But we cannot excuse it by saying, oh, there's just a couple of bad apples. Bad apples do not kill. (laughs) It's an institutional, structural problem of racism. We need to Look at all these structures in society. Look at all these systems in society. Look at the way we try and trust each other. And then we can start to live as one, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one. And I, I agree. There's, I think the vast majority of police officers are good people. We know police officers, you know, and they're awesome, decent people. But I, I don't know. I think just the institution itself needs to be completely overhauled. 
And I think that a lot of police officers, they need to do some soul searching and and admit that there are because if they're not willing to change some of the policies because it's institutional, like you said, then I don't think we're going to go anywhere. Luckily, we've already seen some localities and governments that are already starting to make changes in the law. But we're already seeing pushback by mainly police unions. But we could talk about that in our main topic, too. That's such a bummer, though, the unions protecting uh like those well we can talk about it, it, it yeah. but it is a bummer Major. all right so let's move in to our main topic here the murder of george floyd and the subsequent protests. I do have to make one comment, though, before we begin. Um, it's amazing how, you know, we have spent the last couple of months talking about the coronavirus, the pandemic, and that's just been at the forefront of everyone's minds. It's been the number one issue discussed on the news every night. And this coronavirus pandemic has been replaced by another pandemic that has been enduring, and that is racism. And uh, Yep. It's an avalanche. When it rains, it pours. And in 2020, it is pouring. There were several other (laughs) horrible issues. Of course, Trump being the main one even before these two. And it's all happening at the same time. These are historic times. This is craziness. At the end of 2019, I was like, man, that year really sucked. 2020 has just been abysmal. So I owe 2019 a huge apology. Yeah. So maybe let's, before we begin, kind of just run through just the basic facts of the George Floyd uh, murder. So on May 31st, which was Memorial Day, by the way, a store owner called the police because George Floyd had used a counterfeit $20 bill. And so when the police showed up, they came with guns drawn. And when they came, George Floyd was in his car, so he kept his hands on the steering wheel, in clear view, because I'm sure, like many people, he's been told, don't make any fast movements, don't do anything <laughs> to have the police, sh- you know, shoot you. And um, at that point, they pulled him out of the car, handcuffed him, sat him on the curb, and then there was, like, some kind of discussion that went on. They went to put George Floyd in the back of the cop car, and I guess he was feeling very claustrophobic. Claustrophobic. And then he collapsed. He fell on the ground and said, I don't want to go in there. I feel claustrophobic. And more police officers at this point showed up. And one of them, Officer Derek Chauvin, decided that he would restrain George Floyd, who was over six feet tall, by pressing his knee into the throat of George Floyd. And he did that for about six minutes. And during that time, um, George Floyd was saying, I can't breathe. I need water. Help me, please. Don't let him kill me. After about six minutes, George Floyd stopped moving. And then some of the author officers came over, checked his pulse. There was no pulse. We should add that um, the bystanders filming it were warning the police that he'd already gone unconscious and he's not moving and begging the police to stop. Like, bro, three minutes, bro. He's not moving. Bro, he's not even moving. Get off of his neck, bro. Yes. 
And there was actually one other bystander who I guess had chimed in and said, this is why you shouldn't use drugs. Why you don't do drugs, kids? It ain't about drugs, bro. He is human, bro. After there was no pulse, after he stopped moving, Officer Derek Chauvin continued to keep his knee on George Floyd's neck for another three minutes. This man kneeled on a man's neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds. Can you imagine that? This kid thought he was gonna die. He knew he was gonna die. He called for his mother. He called for his dead mother. And then uh, by the time they got him to the hospital, he was pronounced dead. And this is what triggered all the protests. Uh, I'm already at risk of getting off topic, but since you brought up the great um, Fred talk about um, George Floyd's parallel to Christ, where is the idea that if that George Floyd's past has anything to do with, with how you treat him? It's this crazy idea that, oh, if like, can you imagine, Jose, uh, treating a student in your class who's been giving you hell all year? Uh, differently than the other students in, in the class. There, there's there's this strain, this theme that I'm hearing from people in society and police officers too that, that says you can treat people differently based on, on their behavior. No, we as public servants, we have to treat them fairly where the, whether they've been punching at us. And that's, police know this going in and, I, and they, it's super difficult for them but that's their job, not to lash back, not to get revenge. And so I guess revenge and, and forgiveness, forgiveness going along with it. Trump has pushed this idea. If a criminal goes after you, you get tough and go back after them. That is not how we should be doing things. I know it's tough, but we have to be better than that. Right. And, and it's not just going back after them. It's just going back at them tenfold. Right. 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 Way worse. They're not killing you. I mean, there there have been police deaths. By the way, police um, are sometimes thought to be in very dangerous jobs, but they're barely at no job danger number 20, which is a dangerous job, but there are many, many jobs that are more dangerous than, than police officers. There's this idea that police officers are in a very dangerous jobs. You should look it up and see what jobs are more dangerous. Police um, were, for instance, a less dangerous job than roofers, for instance, and other jobs that are farmers, farm workers, other jobs that we would never consider as dangerous as police. But I digress again. Uh, I hope not to tell. <laughs> no, it's good. Um, but you're right. And I think people are taking advantage of George Floyd's past yeah. to excuse his murder. I think Candace Owens tried to convince white America, don't worry about it. He's a criminal anyway. I don't give a what this did. I don't care what this did. So one of the things I saw was, well, he was using a counterfeit bill or he had been arrested in the past for other issues or the coroner's report said there might have been methamphetamines in his system. And on all these excuses for what was a murder. Yeah, not to, to even if it was maltreatment, which must go on if, if criminals, policemen are trying to arrest uh, don't even maltreat them. You just treat them. I know it's tough, police officers, but you've got to leave your emotions and bitterness and anger out of it when you're arresting. I mean, that should be job number one when they're training officers. You can't get revenge. Right. That kind of goes to the whole issue of racism in this country. So when we were talking with Roger Hall a couple weeks ago about the protests 
you know, in regard to the coronavirus health guidelines, you literally had white Americans going into legislative buildings where assembly people were in the middle of deliberations or what have you. You had these protesters going into those buildings with guns. Yeah. Can you imagine? And nothing was done to them. They were just allowed to, you know, stand in the upper level looking down with their weapons on legislators. I don't think African-Americans would be allowed to do that. There's just no way. Maybe. Maybe they would. And maybe I'm naive. But it just seems like there's a double standard. And I don't know if this is the time we can talk about white privilege. But it, it, I mean, a lot of people have this idea that white privilege is something that we do actively. But it's really the privilege that we don't have to put up with so much that African-Americans do. We don't uh, have to put up with being followed around in a department store. And we don't have to put up being bypassed by a taxi cab driver for a white person. We don't have to put up with uh, being much less likely to be given an apartment. There's a great study. It's done almost every year. And it seems foolproof, this study, that shows that if you put an African-American name on an apartment application, and and the researchers send in the exact same application with a, a very benign sounding Caucasian name, the it's pretty striking the difference between acceptance rates. Of course, Caucasians being accepted at much higher rates. That seems the perfect example of white privilege. Yeah, that, that's a perfect example. And so many people will push back on the concept of white privilege and say, well, I'm white. I'm not wealthy. I don't live in a mansion. I'm poor. What do you mean I'm privileged? And so there's this misconception of what people mean by privilege. It doesn't mean that you're wealthy or rich. It's what you said. It's you have all of these inherent benefits that come to you that you aren't even aware of because of your race, right? because of the color of your skin. And it's not because... It's not even because you want it. It just happens because you're born white or Caucasian. Yeah. I think that's it, too, is people want to think, well, this means I'm guilty of being racist. No, you're not guilty. You just benefit from a society and a culture and institutions that have origins, have roots in white supremacy. Right. And this was kind of the core of the 1619 Project, actually. And I got into it with some people on Twitter over this, and uh, my my tweet was the 1619 Project basically has been vindicated in all of this. Yeah, I agree. But uh, white privilege is real. And the perfect example of white privilege is this woman, Amy Cooper, mm. who was in a park with her dog. The dog was running around, and this African-American named Christian Cooper, ironically, they had the same name, not related. He's a bird watcher, and he says to her, please leash your dog. And she, out of white privilege, loses her damn mind. I'm going to tell them there's an African-American man threatening my life. And so what does she do? She pulls out her cell phone, she calls the police, and you can see her frantically talking to the police and saying, there's this black man coming out of the ramble and he's threatening yeah. me. And I'm sorry, I'm in the ramble and there is a man, African-American, he has a bicycle helmet. He is recording me and threatening me and my dog. I'm being threatened by a man in the ramble. Please send the cops immediately. 
it was it was her relying on history and can we just mention the huge huge revolution that cell phone video cameras are making in our world and there's it's just truth truth is coming out the tr- and of course these videos would have always been here if we have, had always been uh, had always had access to that tool and only because we now have access into it in in widespread manner do we know that all these things are happening but yeah amy cooper is the perfect example of white privilege she knew when she made that phone call that the police would come and yep. there could potentially be harm to him he could potentially be killed arrested because here's this angry quote unquote black man who is threatening me, a white woman, with harm. And so he wasn't threatening her. He wasn't harming her. He just asked her to put her dog on a leash. And this was her response to basically call in reinforcements to crush him because he dared to speak against her. Yeah, I I think that George Floyd's murder um, happened at the end of, of, it was the third of three horrible events. The first, of course, being Ahmaud Arbery in Georgia, chased down by three um, white people killed after he tried to protect himself. Um, His uh, reputation had been smeared also afterwards because supposedly he was robbing um, houses and that has been completely um, ejected. Debunked, yeah. And, And then we had Amy Cooper and then we had, of course, George Floyd And at that point, people, even those people who in the past may have thought, ah, racism is gone, were starting to finally get the idea that it is so present. It is. And we can't also forget to mention the killing of Breonna Taylor. Oh, yeah. That's so it's really that I'm sorry for forgetting her. That was just as big. When that happened, I had just woken up and my wife, Christina, Um, had her phone out and she was reading the news and she said oh my god listen to this and here i am i'm not white but i can pass as white i'm able to sleep through the night peacefully brianna taylor and her was it her boyfriend or her fiance yeah it was a boyfriend sleeping over they they were killed and yeah he had a gun he had a license to carry and they didn't know White gun owners, most gun owners think it's perfectly acceptable acceptable to shoot anybody who enters your house in the middle of the night. And, and I think that is obvious. The police, of course, claim that they announced themselves beforehand, but that was refuted by the boyfriend. And can you imagine not being able to uh, to arrest the police officers who killed this innocent person. And that's one of the problems that's called, that might be part of this idea of um, qualified immunity. This idea that police officers can be treated differently than the average citizen um, when they make mistakes like that, because they have a tough job oftentimes, but they can't make outrageous mistakes like that and expect to be not arrested. Look, I get more consequences from our school district if I mess up a student's grade than these people got yeah there are no consequences that i'm aware of they are still were were they even reassigned i i mean the idea that they haven't been brought up on charges yet is shocking hopefully that happens soon but they weren't wearing any identifiable clothing to indicate they were police officers they didn't knock on the door to issue a warrant they burst in the door guns drawn any person who's a homeowner with a gun like you mentioned 
if they're white, would be totally justified in using their weapon. But of course, they're black, so immediately they're guilty. And by the way, they were at the wrong house with the warrant. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Oh, man. That's just a horrible But Joel, how many other examples? There's Michael Brown, right? Right. Trayvon Martin. Trayvon Martin gets murdered by just a regular that George Zimmerman is nobody. George Zimmerman is an awful human being. He signed Skittle bags because Trayvon Martin had Skittles on him when he was murdered by George Zimmerman. Just go down the list. Eric Garner. Eric Garner in New York, the first guy that told the police, I can't breathe. Eric Garner was selling loose cigarettes in Staten Island. Got murdered by one police officer while five of his fellow officers watched him do it. Um, Walter Scott, Freddie Gray, I've got a list of them. Laquan McDonald, Philando Castile actually happened in Minneapolis. I don't know if you guys remember that. He was reaching for his wallet and gunned down because uh, they thought he was reaching for a gun. It wasn't a gun. That was in... uh, it turns out Minneapolis probably has a police force that has been especially grievous. This idea of defunding them is not abolishing the police force. Nobody, when or very few people, when they say defund the police, want to abolish a police force. They just want to give some of the money that is going to, to the police to programs that help youth to stay out of violence and, and the life of crime. I think that's it, exactly. And when I've heard people say defund the police, and I actually have heard some people on Twitter and on my Facebook friends list who have said, we should just do away with police altogether. We can just police ourselves. And I think that's anarchy, and I can't quite go that far. Uh, No, I can't either. But I can go to the extent of saying, let's defund the police, because what are they doing with that money? They are spending it on, you know, technology, weapons. Exactly. Tanks, Joel. This, that this militarization of the police force has got to end, and maybe um, defunding them to a certain extent will help that. Uh, buying uh, hand-me-downs from the military should never be happening in our police. By the way, uh, Camden, New Jersey defunded their police. They went from city police to county police. Every A lot of people thought it would be a disaster, and crime has plummeted. People need to look at that study. The reason I brought that up with Minneapolis is the uh, council people there have already decided, have already gone on record saying that they are going to defund the police there. So it's going to be interesting to see um, these police forces around the country. All these uh, law and order people saying that there's going to be chaos. What if they're wrong? Will they apologize? And that's the thing too. And, And they're doing it in New York as well. The mayor, Bill de Blasio, already said that he's going to cut funding for the police department and reallocate that money into you know, social programs. And I think right. it will work because you're going to be able to, um, to get the homeless into right. a home or people who are on drugs or maybe taking people who have a criminal background and training them in jobs or you know whatever. I mean, on and on and on. These are all factors that contribute to crime. Yeah. I mean, and we just save so much money by paying for these services early rather than waiting until people are, we pay millions of dollars for drug addicts who are in the hospital or who turn to a life of crime. We need to 
spend way more money at the beginning of these problems than the end. Well, it's kind of like when you have health insurance and you use it to go several times a year for preventative care rather than, you know, you find out because you haven't gone to the doctor for decades that, oh, you have cancer now. Then you have a much more expensive treatment that, you know, might be too late to take care of. Yeah. It's the same concept. You treat it, you prevent it at the outset. Yeah. There's been a lot of great proposals um, and a lot of great programs throughout the country that we could be looking into to solve these, these societal problems. So I kind of want to also take a step back, too, and just look at the wide scope of history. You know, I referenced the 1619 Project. We have to take into account, in 1619, slaves were first brought here. We had institutional slavery in this country for hundreds of years. We fought a civil war against the southern states who had formed a confederacy based on the principle of white supremacy that whites were inherently superior to blacks. And they, and so that's what kills me when I hear people say, the Civil War wasn't fought over slavery. It was fought over states' rights. Fuck you. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's that's got to end. And, and we in education need to, to actually address that that falsehood. We I don't know that we bring it up actually in class that a bunch of people make that excuse. It's like, no, 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 no. When people say states' rights, that's just the bow, the pretty bow around the box of bullshit containing white supremacy and slavery. They wanted to continue slavery and were willing to break away from the Union and go to war to keep slaves. And then when slavery was abolished, there was basically state... um, not sanctioned, but the state did nothing to stop the terrorism. And it was terrorism against African-Americans, which didn't really stop uh, until the 60s. Yeah, so and, 100 years. And to a certain extent, the terrorism it continues. Yeah, so for 100 years, there was Jim Crow, right? Jim Crow ruled the South. There were all these anti-Black segregation laws. And um, I also want to mention... Two cases during that time. One, Emmett Till. Emmett Till was this young black kid from Chicago, went to go visit family down in Mississippi. And according to the witnesses, he saw this attractive white woman and may have whistled at her. These people came after him. They stole him in the middle of the night, beat him half to death, shot him, brutalized him with barbed wire, and then dumped his body in the the river with a 75-pound fan. It was so bad that they couldn't identify his body. And his mother wanted to have an open casket at the funeral to show the world what these racists had done to her son. Crazy. And then the second one I want to mention is the Scottsboro Boys. These nine African-American kids, they were teenagers, falsely accused of rape. Falsely accused of rape. And just nothing happens. This happens over and over again. And these people get away with it. All these people who kill and murder blacks in this country get away with it. Yeah. Um, Drew Brees got into some trouble because he mentioned that he would never want to um, abuse the symbol of the flag after his uh, great grandfather. I can't remember if his grandfather would ever fought for our country in maybe World War One and two. I can't remember exactly who his soldier family uh, members were, but a great tweet followed that from an African-American saying, my dad actually came back 
from World War II, almost lost his life, fought for our country, came back to Louisiana, was not allowed to vote. That, to me, is the core of our history in the United States. Fighting, being willing to lay down your life for our country, coming back and not being able to vote should shock us all. And, and yeah. you know, there's been a concerted effort even today to keep African-American votes down. I mean, there's evidence of that. There's direct evidence of that from judges who have voted against municipalities and governments in the South, um, allowing certain um, gerrymandering to happen and um, voting laws to happen. Amazing. Yeah, it's because we don't respect black people in this country. It's like we look at them as a threat. And that kind of goes back to white privilege. Like, this is all mine, right? These are all my rights. You don't really belong here. We'll kind of give you our table scraps. But, you know, you should just be grateful that you live in this country. We're talking about our country and patriotism. And it's shocking how many people think that uh, protesting is anti-American. This is the streets talking for themselves. Protesting is as American as it gets. Our country it was founded in the Revolutionary War on protesting. Tea partiers are mo some of the most likely people to be against protesting, which is the most ironic thing ever because the Tea Party was a violent protest, the destruction of property. Um, which I'm against, and most people. And here's the other thing that really pisses me off: people trying to distract us from the subject at hand by changing the subject to the few, and I think it's the few who are yeah. looting, rioting. They, the vast majority of protests have been peaceful and are wonderful. And we need to stop changing the subject and put, focusing the, fa uh, the camera on the looters and the rioters who are ridiculous clowns. And mm -hmm. a lot of them um, are super, super angry, which doesn't excuse it, but are, have every right to be super angry. And we need to keep the camera focused on the real injustice. Yeah, no, you're totally right. And when these protests happened, I did a post on Facebook. I just, man, everything I'm posting right now, I'm just getting a lot of negative feedback, which is why I'm trying to stop using as much social media because people are making me sad. But I had written a post basically saying the looting, the rioting, this is all a consequence of the killing of George Floyd. And I had people responding, but Martin Luther King was so peaceful, etc. Martin Luther King also said that looting, that rioting, is the, like the last refuge of the oppressed, of the unheard. Right. And it's not like you're excusing it. You're just saying, hey, that is going to happen when you yes. are getting stepped on constantly. There will be anger and it will erupt. It's not great. It's not good, but it will happen. It doesn't excuse it. Right. So it's, yeah, I want the listeners to understand. We're not saying looting's fine. It's great. No. It's a natural consequence when you have human beings who are under the knee of a society that won't hear their cry. Yeah. And so it's a natural thing. And of course, I think there is a tendency for it to be natural, but I think there's also an element of people who are taking advantage. So right. like in Santa, in Santa Maria, at the outset of the protests that happened here, and I know the organizers, we know the organizers, and at the outset they said, we're not going to do vandalism. We're not going to go crazy. 
they set the tone at the beginning of the protest. And the protest, by all accounts, was peaceful until it got dark. And the protests that they had organized was over. But this element of our community came out and doing donuts in the intersection of our town, the main intersection of our town, setting off fireworks, vandalizing the mall, breaking into the mall and stealing things. That is not the protest that was planned. Absolutely. I saw as many cool YouTube videos of African-Americans in the inner city grabbing white looters. And there were a ton of white looters. This is not a black woman who's putting Black Lives Matter. I just want you to know, listen, don't, don't, don't spray stuff on here when they're going to blame black people for this and black people didn't do it grabbing them and actually handing them over to police. Amazingly, Baltimore had some of the most peaceful, um, well-run protests, and they would actually take a looter and, and say, you are messing you are messing with the African-American community here who have been trying for decades to, um, to clean up our neighborhoods and to bring in businesses. And so they would actually grab them and bring them to the police, which I thought was wonderful. Yeah, I think the Atlanta mayor. Oh, that was a great speech. She said, We're, you're burning down our community. So when you burn down this city, you're burning down our community. Go home. Yeah. So my, I went to that Sunday protest and over at the city hall, it was entirely peaceful. And all my very middle of the road and wonderful neighbors went. My parents went. I'm so proud of them. And it was very wonderful, except there were a few people in the crowd. And this is what makes it tough for me to sometimes go to protest because there are a few in the crowd that had signs that said, F the police. And that, again, is a brimming over of the anger. And I didn't appreciate that. Um, and it made me wonder if I was being tarred by the those people. But it was worth it. And we can't let a few bad apples cause us not to protest. And I think that just that causes more people to vote for Trump. And that's taken us backwards. So I wish people wouldn't be. I know that there's anger at police forces, but I hope people realize that most police officers are trying to do the right thing. I would want to be a police officer right now, that's for sure. No, and I think that's a losing message. So all those people who are going out and protesting, we can beat Trump in November if we focus on everything he's mishandled, all the incompetence. But if our message going into November is F the police, we're going to lose. Yeah, I agree. There's just too many people like me who are middle of the road, like you, who uh, we would never <laughs> vote for Trump, but who will because they're worried about some kind of crazy backlash. Um, but I do see, I mean, I know that you do too. We, we see the seeds of a great uh, of a great improvement in our country from all this craziness. And and yeah. I, I have great hope. I'm, I know that you're optimistic and I'm optimistic that things are going to change. What are some solutions that you think we need to put on the table right now? In terms of um, just everything? In or terms maybe of police officers and, and everything, yeah. Are there any policy changes you you want to see happen because of this? So I, I think the Democratic Party in the House um, put forward a great bill. Just no more chokeholds. Using those kinds of violent tactics just needs to be gone. And then also getting rid of these protections that so many police who kill people or use brutality on people, that these protections that keep them from being prosecuted. 
So yeah. I think those are good steps. I like to, to muse about, I like to think of sort of what I think of thought, thought experiments. And I, I almost want us to do a thought experiment where we ask every single police officer around the country, are you, uh, do you think that um, the killing of George Floyd was justified? And I almost feel like if a police officer still says that that was justified, I don't think I want that that person to be a police officer. I don't know if that's too harsh or too naive, but I just think that that should be a starting point. I think you're right. And I think maybe nationwide, we need sensitivity training for these issues like racism. Maybe we need some kind of screening process to screen out racists. If you're a racist, I don't want you on the police force. Get the f- out. Get another job. Go be a guard at the KKK rally or something. But you should not be policing our streets. Yeah, and we already we already mentioned a few other uh, real specific solutions. And by the way, Obama uh, Obama's video comes up with uh, one solution, which is, hey, we can t- get mad at Trump, but we need to be more locally um, centered and focused um, because most of the stuff is local laws. We need to make sure we vote in local people who are going to do the right thing. This idea we talked about early, earlier about stopping the militarization of the police needs to, to happen. More local connection. No ridiculous union contracts. I know we're both huge union people, but sometimes unions can, can be too pro- our constituents instead of allowing some of the bad apples to go, but we definitely need to end qualified immunity too. I think that, that that's just ridiculous. Yeah. And my wife and I, we had a discussion about racism and two things. One, it needs to start with our families. We need to start calling out our family members who are racist, who say racist things, who make racist jokes. We need to call them out and just let them know that's not acceptable. And so for us, you know, if you're going to talk that way, we don't want you around our daughter. We don't want you part of our life. Friend, family, whatever, you're cut out until you come around and, and cut the racism out of your heart. And two, we all need to do some self-reflection and cut the racism out of our own hearts. Maybe it's unconscious um, racism. And so, you know, I was we were having this discussion and I said, I got to admit, there was one time where I was in L.A. and I took a few wrong turns. I ended up in Compton. I locked my doors. I was like, how do I get out of here? And I just made a beeline to get out of there. Why was I so concerned? No one was looking at me. No one was threatening me. But it was just, I went into this community. I'm like, I do not feel safe. Yeah, no doubt. And I I am more than guilty of, uh, and I've, I don't want to say I'm woke because I kind of can't stand that very broad term, but I used to be super unwoke before. And um, I bless my parents' heart. They came to the protest and they are appalled by what's going on in our country. But my my dad said something and it's just this, I had the same idea. He said, all lives matter. And I totally agree that all lives matter. But when we do that, we're, we're, we're distracting again. Because uh, white people haven't been put under the uh, the foot of police for for decades, for centuries, and and African Americans are the ones who uh, we should be concerned about. So when we say all lives matter, we need to stop. There is this comedian. He's one of the guys on Weekend Update. He's 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 a black comedian. He is hilarious, and he has this whole Black Lives Matter routine. And I'll plug in a clip here, but. He made a really good point. He said, we can't even agree on Black Lives Matter. That's a controversial statement. 
Black lives matter. Not matters more than you, just matters. <laughs> matters. Just matters. <laughs> what the f is less than matters? Matters is the starting point. <laughs> yeah. Why is that so controversial? Yeah, that's become so controversial. It's just nutty. But I think it's because maybe the Black Lives Matter organization, if you will, right? They have right. some controversial things in their platform or whatever. And it's not like I'm going to their website and reading all the things that they propose. But that phrase, Black Lives Matter, is so important. And anytime someone says, no, all lives matter, what, what I immediately think is you can't even bring yourself to say Black Lives Matter, which tells me okay. you don't think Black Lives actually matter. Yeah. What's the, what's the problem? White people haven't been shot upon for decades and generations and, and centuries. Here's another funny, I don't know if he's a comedian, but he's definitely a clown. He, he said this, you know, the left plays a tougher game. It's very funny. I actually think that the people on the right are tougher, but they don't play it tougher. I have the support of the police, the support of the military, the support of the bikers for Trump. I have the tough people, but they don't play it tough until they go to a certain point, And then it would be very, very bad. He, Trump, is, is the clown I'm talking about here. He almost wants there to be violence. He almost wants there to be, um, to, to be beatdowns of protesters. And, and of course, the, uh, the march to that church Lafayette Square is the perfect example of that. Can you imagine we're in a time where you actually um, tear gas peaceful protesters at a church to get a f***ing uh, photo op? Incredible that we're here. Yeah, but Joel, you have to kind of wind the clock back a little bit on that one, too, because Trump had just a few days prior had a meeting with his cabinet level staff with Mike Pence, with the chair of the Joint Chiefs, right? Attorney General Bill Barr, all these people, right? And he's demanding that they activate certain military personnel to go into the streets. And Mike Pence is like, yes, this is a good idea. The defense secretary, this is a good idea. The only people who pushed back was the chairman of the Joint Chiefs and Bill Barr. And Bill Barr only pushed back because he's like, well, we believe in small government, and that's kind of a violation of small government. And so he goes from that to the phone call with the governors and calls them weak. You have to get much tougher. You're going to get overridden. You have to dominate. If you don't dominate, you're wasting your time. They're going to run over you. You're going to look like a bunch of jerks. You have to arrest people, and you have to try people. And they have to go to jail for long periods of time. Yeah. And then from there is when he's like, I need to... I need to go to this church, right? And so as he's giving his speech in the Rose Garden, saying, you know, my idea is if governors can't get their act together, I'm going to deploy the National Guard. While he's giving this speech, you can hear the tear gas, everything, the, the bullets, all the explosives that were being used to clear the park. You can hear that in the background. While he's saying, I'm an, he says, I'm an ally of peaceful protesters, while at the exact same moment, he's using brutal tactics on peaceful protesters to clear space so he can go for a uh, photo op. And an ally of all peaceful protesters. 
I'm telling you, there were moments in these last weeks that I thought I was going a little nutty. I thought that I was living through some, I mean, it, this type of stuff really makes you question reality. It really does. If, if you're not questioning reality, I almost feel like you haven't been really watching close enough. It, it, stuff that's going on right now is, is as nutty as it's, it's ever been by far. And so I watch Obama and I watch Joe Biden and they're making very presidential statements. Joe Biden went and he um, spoke with people who were at a protest, right? He's actually done things. Obama has done several online speeches. This is what a president does. Yeah. That's presidential behavior. Yeah. Incredible. In front of that St. John's Episcopal Church, you know, he's doing a photo op, obviously. And he's holding a Bible in his hands awkwardly. He's just like he's never held a Bible before in his in his hands. And one of the reporters says, is that your Bible? And what does Trump say? It's a Bible. Incredible. <laughs> like it's not even his. It's a prop. It's obviously a prop. I mean, I, I brought this up before, but if I was a fundamentalist Christian who believed that Satan was going to come down in human form, why wouldn't you think Trump is Satan? It just, he fits the bill so perfectly. I don't get it. Why aren't, isn't this huge crowd of evangelicals saying, it's obvious Trump is Satan? His behavior is just representative of the Antichrist, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. yeah. He just, uh, it's disgusting. And it, this is the absolute worst person to have in office during Gosh. Twin crises, coronavirus and the protests and George Floyd murder and the racial kind of strife that's going on. It's the worst possible person. Yeah. Um, has he yet gone to a protest? Has he yet made any major speeches trying to um, to change society and to deplore Floyd's death? No, he's he's a president in a bunker. Yeah, exactly. And his staff have tried to encourage him to do some kind of speech that calls for unity, you know, for all Americans. No, he won't do it. Instead, he's making these, you know, law and order speeches. I'm the president of law and order. I am your president of law and order. Our laws are so beautiful. Right. That's literally what he said. Our laws are so beautiful. I just want to grab him by the. <laughs> but again, I, I, I want to be optimistic, even though I'm scared of assuming that he's going to lose. But polls are really starting to go against him. And I just refuse to to assume that he's going to lose. I know you do, because we were just both burned and so depressed after the last one. Uh, but maybe maybe there's a turn happening in our country. We'll see. I know. I saw a recent poll. I think it was a CNN poll to which. Trump said was fake news, but the poll said that Biden had a 14 point lead. Yeah. I mean, 14 points is beyond the margin of error. But then again, I mean, we're seeing a lot of those good looking polls. But again, don't people please don't count your chickens until they hatch. Yeah. All those people who are out there marching, they need to go vote. If you want change in America, go and register to vote. Show up at the polls on June 9th. Do it in November. That is the change we need in this country. Yeah. Don't vote third party. Don't do write-ins. Don't vote Bernie. Vote Biden. Get Trump out. And then keep marching. Keep protesting. Keep the fire under Joe Biden's feet. 
because he's more willing to listen to you than Trump would. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's I don't know, Joel. I I want to be hopeful right now, but it's it's depressing. It's like we keep doing this over and over and over. How many times have we said like, "Oh man, yet again." You yeah. know, here's another black person being murdered by a police officer. Does this feel different to you though? This is different because there have already been policy changes. I mean, already the Minneapolis uh, town council has said that they're going to defund the police, which doesn't people again mean that they're going to get rid of the police. They're just going to put some of the money towards better programs. Um, we already saw, I think it was Newsom, our governor here in California, who said that he's going to outlaw those types of chokeholds. And he already said other things are coming down the line. Um, what, who's the mayor of LA? He's stopped chokeholds, and I think he said that he's going to redirect some of the money towards police to other social programs, too. We're already seeing some good, good policy changes. Yeah. And, I, you know, I, I look at what happened in Buffalo when those police officers pushed and shoved that elderly man, 75 years old, bleeding from his head. Hey, from his he was, but, Jose, he was a, um, an agitator. <laughs> that, oh, that's right. Keep on hearing this idea that if somebody has had a, a shady past, that it allows you to beat them. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, Trump was saying he's probably Antifa. He was scanning their communications. Yeah. So those police have decided to to uh, resign in mass. What have you heard since then? That's the last. The last I heard. Like, were they all resigned in solidarity with the officers who were suspended? Fine. You. If that's your attitude, I don't want you on the police force. Be gone with you. Those are the exact type of police officers that you should say good riddance to. I'm sure you can find and train police officers to not, even if the person is an is um, a, and that uh, that person wasn't. He was just standing there, probably cussing at the police, or who even knows what he was doing. But the idea that you you push somebody to get revenge as a police officer is got to stop. And and I think that's we had this discussion earlier, but it's like people are protesting because of the brutality of the police officers, and the way that Trump and the police are responding is with more excessive force, more brutality. Yeah, the bad ones are. There have been great great instances, like just uh, what uh, yesterday or the day before. The Santa Barbara police force, they all took a knee with the protesters. And there's been a lot of that. And, and that's the exact tact. And by the way, we found out from a person in, on our staff that the police um, in Santa Maria decided not to go um, in with a heavy hand because of something called a new policy that actually works. It's called de-escalation. And it has proven to, to cause less damage to businesses and less writing. And it's it's just... It seems a little counterintuitive. You let the protesters ha uh, have their way a little bit, um, but you don't beat on them. You don't cause escalation, which is a lot of times what happens when you bring in all the police in riot gear. And I think that's exactly the point right there is in riot gear with their tanks, with their gas masks on, they escalate tensions. And as teachers, you and I know, we sometimes have students who get out of control and we can't escalate the situation because then we're responsible for how they respond. Yeah. 
And I think police need to be responsible with how they are dealing with this and not escalate. And I do have to congratulate the Santa Maria police because they waited um, until the later evening and they had enough officers, they had the right support, and they went in there and they were able to chase the looters out of the mall, basically. But they didn't go in and start beating on people with batons and tear gassing people. It's so enlightened. It's the way to do it. They also is very heartening to see um, because I think it'll deter looters in the future. People, we have video of your face and we can put your face on social media and pretty much find you. So they made their arrest later and that will help to deter future looters. And by the way, looters are only... They're, they're causing people to vote for Trump. So They are. And I just want to mention one more thing, and that's that's the violence that's been happening against reporters and journalists. Gosh, yeah. They've been tear gassed. They've been hit with rubber bullets. And Henry Houston, my cousin, who works for the Eugene Weekly, who was on our podcast a few weeks back, he was in Eugene covering the protests. And he kept saying, I'm a journalist. I'm a journalist. They hit him, I think, with a flashbang and then tear gas. And he was saying, like, I'm a journalist, I'm a journalist. And then they said, we don't care. And he could hear them laughing because he was trying to run out of the cloud of smoke. Yeah. And it's like total disregard for the media. Complete yeah, that, disregard. That has been one of the most uh, saddening um, eventualities, or this one of the sad, saddest um, issues in this whole thing. Because we need to see exactly what's happening on the ground. And journalists are the reason we get to see things firsthand. Yeah. So I think just to wrap up this conversation here, I think we need to keep the focus on George Floyd, be hopeful that change will come, and we have to keep up the pressure. And that means keeping up the pressure with peaceful protests. Because whenever we loot and riot, we're just giving the racists, we're just giving the people who want to maintain the status quo. We're giving them ammunition. Look what these people are doing. They're burning down these buildings. They're looting. We need to be peaceful. And that was one of the one of the strengths of Martin Luther King's um, civil disobedience um, yep. strategy was when you're disobe- when you're civilly disobedient, when you're peaceful, you highlight the violence of your oppressor. Exactly. Exactly. Such a wise man. And so that's how we need to approach this situation right now. Just channel our anger into peaceful protests and just keep up the pressure. And let's make sure we continue pressing for these actual changes in law and policy. Yes, for sure. So let's just all keep George Floyd in our hearts and our minds and pray for his family and everyone involved. He has a daughter, so. Yeah. Peacefully protesting, no one will care until someone tosses a Molotov in the air, it ain't fair. But you called hate a cancer, said love was the answer, and gladly took 10 to 25 with your fist tied. Refused to accept death until the end of apartheid. So now is the time in our show when we like to talk about things we've been listening to, watching on TV, and smelling. What have you been smelling, watching, listening, or touching lately, Jose? Ooh, I've been touching. Um, <laughs> actually, <laughs> can't tell you what I've been touching. Actually, uh, Christine and I have started watching the new season of Dirty John. Oh, have you heard of Dirty John? I have, but I don't know what it's about. I've just heard the title. So years, 
at least a couple of years ago, Jose Segura, who's been a guest in our show, talked about how he got into this podcast called Dirty John. And it was about this guy named John who was hoodwinking this woman into um, basically letting him into her life. And he's kind of like a succubus. Well, that whole show ended with her daughter killing John. True story, by the way. Wow. So when they said that there's going to be a season two, I'm like, how are they going to do a season two? Like, that guy's dead. That that story wrapped. So they're doing a different, like, star-crossed disaster lover story with a woman named Betty Broderick and her husband, Dan Broderick. Betty Broderick is played by uh, Amanda Peet, and Christian Slater plays her ex-husband, Dan Broderick. And the show starts with her on trial for murdering him. And as the trial progresses and people, you know, witnesses speak, they do flashbacks to fill in, you know, the backstory of her murdering him. It's really good. And you see kind of like you immediately think she's guilty and horrible. But then you see like, oh, this is why she went crazy. This is what drove her to the point of killing him. It's really good. Okay, what is the um, platform that we can watch this on? Because I want to check this out. I'm I'm really kind of desperate for some good uh, media right now. We watch it on Hulu, and it's on Bravo. Okay, cool. Thank you. So check it out. It's a USA show, but it's on Bravo. Maybe I have to get one of those weekly free uh, accounts. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, you can watch it there. Yeah. <laughs> what do you got, Joel? I have just a couple of um, things that I think people should watch uh, regarding George Floyd. I, and I'm only going to bring up the one that I thought was the most powerful thing I've watched since this is all erupted. And it's Trevor Noah talking about one of his main issues is that we are in a democracy. We have something called a social contract. Society. What, but what is society? And fundamentally, when you boil it down, society is a contract. It's a contract that we sign as human beings amongst each other. We sign a contract with each other as people, whether it's spoken or unspoken. And we say amongst this group of us, we agree in common rules common ideals and common practices that are going to define us as a group. That's what I think a society is. It's a contract. And when one of the parties breaks the social contract, chaos ensues. And just please, the man is wise beyond his years. And he speaks uh, so eloquently in this um, great, great, uh, I don't think it was even part of his show. I think he was interviewed, and but you can find it on YouTube. Go, people, please watch Trevor Noah. Even though you might have read a ton on everything that's going on in a society, he brings even more light to this topic. And as with most contracts, the contract is only as strong as the people who are who are abiding by it. But if you think of being a black person in America who is living in Minneapolis or Minnesota or any place where you're not having a good time, ask yourself this question when you watch those people. What vested interest do they have in maintaining the contract? Yeah, I watched it. It's it's 18 minutes long. It's very profound. And the reason why he's so wise beyond his years is because he's from South Africa and he experienced racism. He experienced the second-class citizenship, the legal version of what we have that's kind of de facto, right? Yeah. He brings real life experience. Absolutely. It's powerful. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. You know what? Now that I'm thinking of it, um, if you are somebody who still is doubtful that African-Americans are still experiencing racism, go read. I, I brought him up earlier in the show. David French 
wrote in his own blog, I think it is, and I wish I knew the name, um, an article about his experience. He was just yesterday or two days ago on uh, Meet the Press and talked about it. He adopted um, a, a little girl from, I think it was Ethiopia. And he was always very dismissive or at least uh, skeptical about um, black treatment in the United States until he had his own daughter. One of the things he saw, for instance, is his daughter being questioned, why are you in this pool with these other people? Let me see that you have the correct wristband. And just constant, constant um, evidence that the United States is still full of racism. Um, Go read his article. It is. It was super from the heart, and it's by a very tender and thoughtful and caring and loving man. Yeah, I, I saw him on Meet the Press. Oh, man, that was heartbreaking. But I love to see that there is this conversion that can yeah. happen yeah. from someone who thinks, ah, this is just some woke liberal virtue signaler bullshit yeah. to like, wow, this is a reality yeah, I think that article would be great if somebody who was skeptical, please, if you are skeptical about everything that Africans are saying is are happening to them, go read his article. Yeah, for sure. And I will link it in the show notes, which I don't think anyone reads, but check it out. That's all for this week. Thank you so much for joining us on our humble little podcast. You could do us a huge, huge favor by subscribing to our show wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Stitcher, Podbean, Google Play, or Apple Podcasts. Be sure to rate our show and leave a review. Your rating will help others find the show. Be sure to find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Conversation on Tap. Thank you so much, Joel, for this conversation. Thank you, Jose. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye, Joel. I'll see you in a few minutes for lunch, actually. Yes, that'll be nice. It'll be nice to actually socialize. I miss it big time.